0: Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast might be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today I'm happy to be speaking with Michael O'Neill. He might be known to many of you because he runs a website called Miracle Hunter. He's known as the Miracle Hunter. He has a radio show on relevant radio of the same name. He also hosts the EWTN show They Could Be Saints and also will be hosting a show on EWTN about Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, in the upcoming months. He's also an author of 365 Days with Mary, And the latest book, Virgin, Mother and Queen, Encountering Mary in Time and Tradition, which he co-authored with another good friend of mine, Robert Festigi. So welcome to the show, Michael O'Neill.
1: Thank you, Father Edward. It's great to be here.
0: So, uh, of course, I think you have a lot that keeps you busy. Not only are you a husband and a father, but you do a lot of stuff to especially advance uh, the love of the Blessed Virgin Through the miracles, especially her apparitions. Your website, Miracle Hunter, is one of the great websites that kind of chronicles all of the Marian apparitions, from the ones that have been uh, authoritatively approved to kind of the lesser known ones that maybe a bishop has made a statement about, and even to those that might be uh, not with the good graces of the church that have been condemned or maybe kind of dismissed. So I guess maybe before we start talking about Virgin Mother and Queen, what was the big inspiration behind Miracle Hunter and that website?
1: Well, I think um, it's one of these things where I probably trace this to my interest in Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, uh, As a youngster, my, my mother had a great devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so kind of instilled that in me growing up. And anybody who knows the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, of course, knows uh, the the incredible story some might refer to as the second greatest story ever told, where with this, uh, this man, uh, Juan Diego, uh, unfurls his tilma and shows the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe to the bishop-elect, and it converts 9 million people in, in 10 years, and, and many people uh, continue to have a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. So you can't even talk about uh, that That great uh, devotion without talking about miracles, so I think, as a youngster growing up, knowing that story and knowing how important it was to my mother, uh that was always something that was of interest to me and I think when I got to uh, Stanford i took i started studying archaeology a little bit on the side, in addition to my mechanical engineering studies, and I took a class where we had to write a story about um a heart effect. and I chose our lady of Guadalupe, of course, and in the process of going through and collecting all the information on Lake Guadalupe, I learned, you know, this is not a singular occurrence in history where Mary has appeared. There's been as many as 2,500 cases as identified by the great uh, late Mariologist Father Rene Laurentin. He said 2,500, and I've documented those 2,500 on my website, miraclehunter.com. So I think, you know, over the years, um, you know, this has been a, a great interest of mine, but it would probably just stem from my mother's uh, Marian devotion that sort of set me on this path.
0: Yeah, you know, it's always interesting how... We're influenced by our close sphere, whether that's our family, whether that's a friend, and we see their influence. And I know the same was for me, that my grandmother was very devoted to the Blessed Mother and prayed the rosary, and, and that was just something that was handed on to me. And I saw other people in my community who were going on pilgrimage to different places, and uh, that really left a mark on me. And as from your story, it left a mark on you, which then not only has it led you to catalog all these apparitions of Our Lady, but you've really become known as one of the experts on Marian apparitions. And and that led you to write this book with Dr. Fastigi, who's a professor of theology at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, called Virgin Mother and Queen, Encountering Mary in Time and Tradition, available from Ave Maria Press. And The uniqueness of this book, I think, and it's something that I thought should have been done for a long time, and I'm so glad that you guys have done this, is to really look at kind of the doctrinal elements, the doctrinal teaching of these Marian apparitions. But then also, as we look at these titles of Mary, to then look at the apparitions in which they become quite known to us. For example, you know, in your book, Mary as blessed. And so you talk about Our Lady of Knock or Mary as virgin, Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know, that's, as you talked about Guadalupe, that's something that's always struck me about the Guadalupe apparition is that Mary confirms her perpetual virginity before, during, and after. She calls herself the ever-virgin. But She says that at Guadalupe, but then for us to unpack that, to look at how it is throughout time that we've come to believe that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. And what was it like for you, I guess, going through all these different titles of Mary and attaching uh, an apparition and really being able to reflect on these appearances, these messages, these titles of Mary? What was that like for you going through that with Dr. Fastigi?
1: Well, I was so blessed to get paired with Dr. Fustiggi. Of course, um, you know I, I know that you are a very active uh, member, and uh, I get I get lots of emails from you regarding the Mariological Society of America. We're both members of that, and uh, Dr. Fastigi is as well, the former president. And I was very honored. I, I really think he is really represents some of the finest in Marian scholarship that we have in the United States and the world. he's, he's absolutely incredible and just. Even even some of these side conversations I've had with him throughout the years, it just he blows you away with uh, how he can extemporaneously uh, quote encyclicals about Mary or uh, the writings of saints. It's just absolutely amazing. So so honored to get to write this book with him. And uh, one of the fun aspects, as you mentioned, is that we went through the ten most highly approved Marian apparitions, and so those are those things that happened. From the Council of Trent and beyond. It's 1545 to 1563 It's the Council of Trent, but it was in those years that they decided that Marian apparitions and other miracles need to be investigated with uh, serious study, with science where available, and so uh, there are 10 cases uh, throughout history that really have been approved fully by the local bishop and then recognized by the Vatican um, after those years. And so, um, but we were able to take each one of those 10 and match them up with sort of the, a traditional Marian title. As you mentioned, Our Lady of Guadalupe, we looked at Mary as Virgin, and any number of others, our, the Mother of Sorrows, Our Lady of La Salette, um, Our Lady as Advocate, uh, Our the Lady of Panmen. So um, there are different aspects to Marian devotion, and uh, those come out in the Marian apparition. So we were able to in in a very exciting way, tie those two together, these these uh, the pious tradition and the great stories that have been investigated and validated by the church, but also the uh, mariology behind it all. so it was it was so uh, such an entertaining and rewarding uh, exercise to go through there with Dr. CG.
0: You talk about the Vatican approving these different apparitions, and as I look at the list, I can only recall you know, the many-year pontificate of John Paul II and how he was a pilgrim to many of these places. I'm sure that in Ireland, he went to Nock, I, I believe he went to Guadalupe. He went to Lourdes for sure in, in uh, France. Uh, I'm not sure about the other French apparitions, La Salette, Rudebach, Pontmain, but I know for a fact that in, when he was in Belgium, he went to Bonneau and to Boereng and and surely he went to Fatima. So we see that even the Holy Father um, in the past, and even Pope Francis, he's been to Fatima, he's been to Lourdes. Uh, and maybe yes, he went to Knock during his uh, apostolic visit to Nock. So he's been to a lot of these different apparition sites. So not only do ordinary people go on pilgrimage there, but even the the great uh, influencers, the the great hierarchy of the Catholic Church, uh, makes visits to these places of apparition. Out of all of the, appar-
1: and, as, and as and as you know, Father, it's the. Um... The very setting foot of a pope on an apparition site is a sign of Vatican recognition. The Church will not allow, in its wisdom, a pope to visit sort of a uh, unapproved apparition site because they know the optics of that give it some credibility, or it just shows the faithful that uh, that a pontiff would would uh, would would go to that place to venerate Mary. So, uh, for example, uh, Medjugorje, which is a controversial and current uh, Marian apparition claim going on. Uh, Pope Francis, I think, was in Sarajevo, for example, and uh, during that trip, uh, he was encouraged to just pay a visit to uh, the alleged apparition site of Medjugorje, but he refused, because even if he may personally believe in it, which it doesn't seem that he does, but if he were to believe in it, just setting foot on it would be a sign of Vatican recognition. So there are any number of other ways the Church shows recognition, but it's very significant, as you point out, that uh, when a Pope sets foot an apparition site. That's a sign that the Church is behind it.
0: Even when it comes to Champion Wisconsin, for example, when our Holy Father Pope Francis made his visit to the United States a number of years ago now, there was a petition from the mayor of Green Bay really wanting to bring the Holy Father to Green Bay, maybe to say Mass at Lambeau Field to mark that hallowed ground of the Green Bay Packers. But then also to visit that place of Marian apparition, which our bishop, Bishop Ricken, approved back in 2010. And I know you've been there a number of times as a pilgrim and have done a lot of work to promote that message here in the United States of, of that apparition. So hopefully one day, maybe our Holy Father, whoever it might be in the future, whether Pope Francis or someone else, might make his own apostolic visit to Green Bay to that place of approved Marian apparition. When we
1: look that's at right. all... I think that um, one thing that one thing that's interesting too is that we talk about uh, what what is the definition of an approved apparition, for example, and you, it's only required that the local bishop, the ordinary, gives approval towards the of superna- the supernaturality of the event. The Vatican doesn't have to weigh in at all. So even though there has never been any kind of Vatican approval with a, a feast day a canonization of a, visit, a visionary, a visit of a pope. Uh, golden Rose sent to Our Lady of Good Help, it's still considered you know, a, a completely approved Marian apparition because the local bishop, who according to the 1978 document, uh, the norms of the Congregation for Discerning Alleged Private Revelations and Apparitions, says that uh, it is the local bishop who's the one uh, who's in charge of making those decisions. So uh, we would all love to see the Pope make that trip to, to Lambeau Field and then swing over uh, to the shrine, but it stands as a fully approved apparition, even
0: even without that. Yes, you're right about that. And one of the things when we talk about these apparitions of Our Lady, and when we when we talk about the study of Mary overall, what we call Mariology, uh, you know, for the common person, they might not have a, a grasp or an understanding of all of the different teachings about Mary and. It's often that these apparitions of Our Lady are the the things that they know about Mary, that people are very devoted to Fatima or to Lourdes or to some of the unapproved apparitions, even as you mentioned earlier to, to Medjugorje, that this is kind of where people get their knowledge of Mary, how they know about her. But what's really valuable about your book is just looking at the doctrine, the dogma, just helping us to understand the historicity of devotion to Mary, that that really it goes all the way back to the sacred scriptures. The very first chapter, Mary is blessed. Well, that was the words of um, uh, of St. Elizabeth when she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So, so we see here kind of the biblical foundation of all of these different titles, all the different devotions to Mary, but then the theological, looking at the different ways in which the saints have written about Mary, how they've reflected about her over the years. So. I think that's one of the great things that your book with Dr. Fastigi does is that it kind of grounds the popular Marian devotion of apparitions within the greater context of the study of Mary and helps us to come to appreciate her in uh, a different way for for many people.
1: And I think thank you. And I think what's what's interesting and it's worth pointing out, and um, anybody who um, studies private revelation as, as you do, Father. It's important that we mention the way that the Catholic Church uh, views these things and what their expectations are of the faithful. Of course, when it comes to private revelations, even these very famous cases like Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, we have no obligation as Catholics to believe in them. Uh, If it's helpful to our faith, we should embrace them and honor Mary under those titles and pray to her with those devotions. But Uh, We're not required to, um, as Catholics, to do that. Um, We're, of course, the the words and works of Jesus Christ as found in sacred Scripture and uh, given to us throughout tradition, uh, those are the essence of our faith. But these things like uh, Marian apparitions, while they're exciting and they really bolster our faith to to know or feel with confidence that the Church is behind it, uh, that Mary did in fact walk amongst us uh, throughout history, uh, we're not obliged at all to believe in in uh, in private revelation. So, um, you know, I think that's an important thing for people to keep in mind when they're—it's almost like choosing a baseball team. Who are you going to cheer for? People are really attached to their, you know, Marian devotions and to the apparitions and whatnot, and I am as well. But it's really important to understand that this is not the center of our faith. This is a boost to our faith that draws us closer to Christ.
0: Yeah, when it comes to to these Marian apparitions, I know for myself when I wrote this book, this past Lent, a Lenten journey with Mother Mary, that when I would talk about the book, I'd always share that these messages of Mary that she gives really are an echo of the gospel. That Mary doesn't give us anything new; she just helps us to point us always back to her Son Jesus. And so, so if that's what the Marian apparition does for us, well, that's great. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And even in the dogma. We, we've seen in the church history for many years that sometimes when there was something that we thought about Jesus, and then people said, no, that doesn't seem right. Well, then they looked at it in relationship to Mary. So when someone denies that, that Jesus is a divine person, well, they look at who Mary is. Well, Mary is the mother of God. She is the mother of the divine person, Jesus, who has a human and a divine nature. And so, So sometimes Mary can help even orient our right belief and bring us back to right teaching uh, about these different aspects of the Lord Jesus and about the faith. And even when we go wayward, as, as was the case so many times when she would speak to us, that she would give that message and so many people would come and they would experience the grace of conversion and healing and they would begin to take up the spiritual life. So I think that's the real blessing of all of these Marian apparitions.
1: Absolutely, I think that um, they, they have great meaning for the faithful throughout the centuries, and they can really, really bolster our faith. And it's just uh, important to to have the proper perspective on uh, what they what they can mean and and what we are obliged to believe about them.
0: How many of these Marian apparition sites have you been to, especially the ones that you write about, but of course, some of the other ones that do enjoy the approval of the Church?
1: Well, I've been to many Marian apparition sites, and one one thing that I feel very privileged to do is that every year I lead an international pilgrimage, and uh, this past year we went to France and Belgium, and there are so many, as you know, Father, there are many apparition sites Throughout France, throughout Belgium, there are two big ones in Belgium in Barang and Bonneau, 1932, 1933, those occurred fully approved by the Church. And so, um, so I, I love to take pilgrims to these Marian apparition sites. And every year we go to somewhere uh, unique and different. And this next year, in October, we're actually be going to um, Poland and Lithuania. And uh, believe it or not, there's uh, several Marian apparition sites in addition to. Famous icons like Our Lady of Chestehova uh, in Poland, but uh, there's these uh, these uh, uh is a famous site in in Poland, and also Our Lady of Shaluba in uh, Lithuania. So uh, it's it's really a, a great thing that uh, that I've been able to do, and I've actually been blessed to uh, to take a, a film crew with me from EWTN as well. So everywhere that I travel, uh, we we're able to get a little footage and, and of, of these different places as well. So. Um, so we're we're hoping to get that on the air this summer. But uh, but yeah, there have been many, many occasions to visit Marian apparition sites throughout the world. And for those people who aren't able to do international travel, of course, right here in our own country, we have uh, Our Lady of Good Help. is a great place uh, where somebody can visit a spot that uh, Mary herself has visited.
0: Beside Our Lady of Guadalupe, because you've already shared about the significance of Our Lady of Guadalupe in your life, but... Out of all the other apparitions that you've visited, is there one that's touched you in a very profound way? That maybe you had a very special spiritual experience at?
1: Well, I would I would have to say, of course, as you mentioned, Our Lady of Guadalupe will always be my favorite, and, and I was just there this past past June, uh, getting to to be there on pilgrimage and, and film there. And but I, I have to I have to say that one that caught me off guard. That I wasn't expecting to have such a uh, such an impact on me was Our Lady of Pontmain in France, and so um, it's it's really out of the way. I, it, it, it took an additional uh, several hours off of our, our, our tour to get there, but it's it's sort of a, a tiny, sleepy little town, and you just look up, and in the center of the town there's a giant Gothic cathedral, um, and uh, it's absolutely stunning when you go there. The blue windows the light pouring in and uh, the school children there who received that vision of Mary, um, you know, that, uh, I don't know, that it just resonated with me just to to see that. And um, it, it it just, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, it's a beautiful sore thumb that, that, that spire that goes straight up, but it's uh it's, it's, it's an amazing place to see. And uh, you just don't expect it. I mean, I think down in, in Paris, you, you expect to see such a, a gorgeous, a gorgeous cathedral, but uh, it's it's a major, amazing, amazing to see that there, and um, you know, I, I, it's just she's known as a as a Mary as advocate, as we write about in the book, and uh, I think that's you know we all we all pray
0: for uh,
1: Mary intercession and helping our own lives, but uh, that's a, that's a classic case in history too.
0: Yeah, the name that really people have honored her with the devotion at in Palm Man has been Our Lady of Hope, and. It's a very interesting story. I wrote about a little bit in A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary, and this is a synopsis of it. Our Lady appeared on January seventeenth, 1871, during the Franco-Prussian War, revealing herself only to the children gathered in the area. The apparition had three phases, and in the final phase, the words, But pray, my children. God will hear you in time. My son allows himself to be touched appeared in the sky above our lady, who was dressed in blue with stars on her dress and wearing a crown. And the other thing was was that there were some soldiers. There was going to be a kind of, you know, a war that was happening and they were going to be passing through Pont Main. But as this apparition was happening, they were repelled. They couldn't go any further. They had to turn around. And so really the story of Our Lady there uh, is one uh, of great hope, yes. And and as you mentioned Mary is an advocate because God will answer your prayers. So Mary advocates for us. She helps us. Uh, She adds her intercessory power uh, to the prayers that we offer to Almighty God. So, yeah, it is a beautiful place. And I remember just being there when I was there a few years ago. I just wonder, I'm like, is this huge church needed today? Do they fill this with pilgrims? I was there during the off season, so I don't know what it was like when when people would be going on pilgrimage, but I wondered if it was popular many, many years ago, and maybe that popularity has waned or faded, or is it still a place of great devotion today? That was kind of the question I, I was left with because I visited during the month of January.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was quiet when we were there as well, uh, but uh, beautiful nonetheless. It was just uh, such a striking, striking place that uh, you know, and and the idea of Mary interceding uh, in, in such a big way that was uh, that's something that that uh, resonated with me anyway.
0: As we talk about virgin, mother, and queen, these are the very popular titles of Mary, that we call her the Virgin Mary, we call her our mother, we call her the queen of heaven and earth. And, and there are so many titles of Mary that we could talk about, and uh, so happy to be able to discuss a little bit with you today, this book, Virgin Mother and Queen, Encountering Mary in Time and Tradition, to really see the synthesis of of devotion and these apparitions and doctrine as well. One of the things I like to do, uh, as a way to close the show, is just to talk with the guests a little bit and to to ask them a series of questions about their own devotion to Mary. Kind of help people realize that Mary and devotion is something that's very unique, that the way one person loves Mary, it's going to be different for the other person. And so really to allow ourselves to become inspired uh, by so many people uh, in their devotion, maybe someone shares something that makes a, a impression uh, upon someone in their own devotion to Mary. So the very first question always is uh, relates to these titles of Mary. Uh, you write about the titles of Mary. She is a woman of many names. Of course, the same Mary of Nazareth. Out of all the titles, which one do you think you would claim as your favorite?
1: Yeah, there are many to choose from, and I have a website, three uh, hundred sixty-five days with Mary dot com, that has several hundred. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> several hundred Marian titles on it. So uh, I, I, I've uh, run into a lot of them, but. I do really enjoy, strangely enough, the Mary and Tire of Knots uh title, which I think uh any person can uh appreciate that title in the sense that we all have challenges, we all have difficulties, we all have knots in our own lives. And uh, Mary is the number one person to turn to to help us get through those knots. So um I know that's a, a favorite devotion of Pope Francis, so I uh, when he uh when he started talking about that one as well, that uh that's uh, always always caught my attention. So Mary and Tyre of Knots, pray for us.
0: And then when it comes to Marian devotion, people uh, cling to their sacramentals. Sometimes it might be a rosary or a medal they wear, the scapular. Is there a favorite sacramental that you have?
1: Well, I, uh, I have, I have uh, scapulars in almost every color. I think they're brown, blue, gray, black, red, and green, and white. Um, but a, a uh, miraculous medal is uh, is my favorite sacramental.
0: And in the book, uh, Virgin, Mother, and Queen, you talk about the miraculous medal, Mary as Mediatrix of Grace, and that's one of the things that she says in the apparition about the rays coming from her hand, the one representing the the asked-for graces, and then the other hand representing the graces that we don't ask for. So, so we see Mary as Mediatrix of Grace uh, with that devotional. There's many prayers to Mary, the most popular being the Hail Mary, which we find in the sacred scriptures, uh, from the angelic salutation and the greeting of Elizabeth. But there, as you know, there are many other Marian prayers, the Memorare, Salve Regina, and so forth. Do you have a favorite Marian prayer?
1: I have to go with uh, the Memorare. That's always the one that, um, when I'm in a pinch, when I'm in trouble, when I'm Driving, and I see someone who's had an accident. That's always the one that comes to mind uh, to, to pray quickly, and, and it just uh, it, uh, it it's it's a beautiful prayer. That uh, I don't know. I just I feel very close to Mary when I'm praying that one. So that that's probably my all-time favorite.
0: It's a timeless prayer, and out of all the guests that I've had on this show, you wouldn't believe how many times the memorari has been cited as the favorite Marian prayer. And, and usually people often, too, will, they'll talk about Mother Teresa and her, her flying novena of praying nine memoraries. and uh, it, it is a beautiful prayer, a beautiful devotion that so many people uh, have a fondness for. When it comes to the rosary, people find it difficult sometimes to pray. They might get hung up. They might question, am I really praying the rosary? It's so repetitive. It's monotonous. Uh, I don't engage my imagination. Is there anything that has helped you pray the rosary better that you might offer as a rosary tip?
1: Well, I probably shouldn't admit this out loud, but um, when I pray the rosary, I only pray the sorrowful mysteries. And I don't encourage anybody else to do that. It's just my own personal thing that for whatever reason, <clears throat> that really is uh, where I find my mind and my heart going when I pray the rosary. Um, and I, I picture Mary uh, along the way of the cross. So, um, you know, I think that uh, putting ourselves in Mary's shoes or just trying to uh, understand or, or, or just try to try to see what she saw, try to feel what she felt, uh, that, that helps it to become more than just a, a repetitive uh, meditation.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say you only pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary because I have a friend of mine who says that when he prays the sorrowful mysteries, he always has to pray the first glorious mystery because he says he wants to take Jesus off the cross. <laughs> and so he prays mm-hmm. the resurrection then so that Jesus isn't just left there on Calvary. But
1: mm-hmm. but,
0: but I, I really enjoyed and uh, appreciate what you said about really... Feeling what she felt, trying to see what she saw, uh, you know, placing ourselves there uh, in the footsteps of Mary and, and living those Rosary mysteries with her. Beside Mary's many apparitions and uh, Mary's apparitions throughout time, we know that she first appears to us in the pages of Sacred Scripture, and. Uh, there are so many different Marian passages, and we reflect upon those in the Rosary. But is there a favorite story of the Bible that Mary features in that that you enjoy, that you have a, a fondness for?
1: Well, I, I suppose I'm, I'm guessing I'm not alone in this, in the sense that uh, the wedding feast of Cana at Cana, you know, the the idea of uh, Marian intercession comes through loud and clear uh, in that. In those, those passages, uh, do whatever he tells you. Um, I think that's that's so important, uh, the role of Mary in, in, in our lives, uh, leading us closer to Christ and to following him more closely. Um, that's For me, that's that's my all-time favorite uh, Marian moment in,
0: in the Bible. I don't think I have to ask this question, because we know that the answer already is, but uh, your favorite Marian apparition...
1: <laughs> yeah, you got you got that one right. Our Lady of Guadalupe will always be number one for me. Although I, you know, I, I do find uh, love for Mary under many of these titles, and on my website miraclehunter dot com, I have uh, many catalogued there, so people can go there to find out about all of them. But but that is truly my all time favorite.
0: Now you know this that. Of course, these Marian apparitions become mm. sites of shrines, but there are so many other shrines to Mary throughout the country and throughout the world. And their devotional titles of Mary they rise up in different areas out of the devotion of the people. Is there a Marian shrine that you visited that has left an impression upon you?
1: Um, yes. Uh... They they all have in their own way. Um for for whatever reason I was really uh I was really wowed by uh, our Lady of the Rosary in Pompeii in Italy. And that um that's this it's uh, there there was a Marian apparition on that site uh to this woman Fortuna Fortuna Agrelli. But the real uh, story behind that one is that uh, this blessed Bartolo Longo who was I think he was kind of a bad guy. I think he was, he was uh, a saintness, Satanist, a saintness, Satanist and, and a, yeah, <laughs> and that's beyond a non-believer, a believer on the other side. Um, and he uh, he actually searched for and found this uh, this battered and tattered uh, image of Mary and had it rehabbed. And uh, it's a beautiful image now. And uh, he used that image to spread devotion to the to the rosary. And I, I just remember walking through. That building, and um, you know, I, I didn't I didn't do enough research on what I was going to see. by walking through the hallways leading up, and I didn't quite know what what was ahead of me. But then walking through that side door, and then just walking into the incredible this incredible church uh, with that with that very painting that was uh, brought back to life, so to speak, by Bartolo Longo. I don't know, it had a, it had a big uh, big impression on me. Uh, so it was, it was special to pray the rosary at the Shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary. And, and we filmed also there with the EWTN, so I'll be excited when we can put that together in, in, a, in a program.
0: Yeah, there are so many Marian shrines here in the United States, so many throughout the world, and hopefully people do have an opportunity Uh, as their life permits them, to be able to visit them. They're they're great places of grace where people have prayed for so long. Some of them are local people. They're very devoted. They go there every day. They light their candle. They go and they make the sign of the cross and maybe just leave right away. But there's something to say about the faith of all these people that have gone to the shrines before us and to know that so many will go there after us as well. Is there a Marian and In book...
1: Wisconsin, you've got uh, that great trifecta of shrines up there, the Good Help to Guadalupe and Our Lady of Help of Christians all within driving distance of each other. It's kind of amazing to have just three beautiful places nearby.
0: It is a. It is a very... A uh, splendid blessing for for many uh, to be able to visit those shrines. And I know here in the United States, I have a few on my bucket list that I'd like to go visit someday. Uh, the one that really, um, only because I know someone who had a profound spiritual experience there, I really one day want to make it to Cary, Ohio, to the shrine of Our Lady of Consolation. That's one place that I'd like to go. Not because I have any devotion, but just I've heard a friend talk about it for so long that I'm just like, I really want to go. I want to see what what that is and to be able to pray there. So, so many shrines and maybe an encouragement to people to look and see if you have one hidden in your backyard that maybe you don't even know about. Is there a Marian book that you would recommend? Of course, there are many books written by saints and contemporary people. Uh, You and I have written books about Mary and so many others that we know. Uh, Any book that you'd recommend?
1: That's a tricky one. My first instinct is to recommend Virgin Mother and Queen, but uh, aside from that one, uh, of course, uh, St. Louis de Montfort's uh, True Devotion uh, to Mary is uh, an incredible one. And another one that's interesting is uh, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, talking about uh, the life of Mary, where, of course, this is not uh, anything found in the Gospels, and we can't look at it as if it were Gospel truth, but for those people interested in private revelation who want the insights of a saintly person, on, perhaps in an inspired way, um, it's pretty incredible to read what she writes about Mary. And I have to say that um, you probably know this that the House of Mary in Ephesus was found uh, because of the writings of Anne Catherine Emmerich in that book, *The Life of Mary*. Is that there was followed uh, to a T, kind of like a uh, Indiana Jones type style mystery, where they read the book. The, the people who found that uh, that house and they located the actual spot of Mary, Mary's house where she lived with Saint John, as validated by archaeologists and as stamped with an imprimatur or a uh, indulgence, excuse me, by popes. Visited by saints and popes alike, um, so I think it's kind of incredible. Um, that's not to say that everything that she uh, and Catherine M. writes is true, but uh, certainly it's something that's uh, fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, what I appreciate about her, especially, is that so many people have those questions about what happened in the life of Jesus or in the life of Mary at certain points, and so I always think that those books of the mystics, whether it's Maria of Agreda or Anne Catherine Emmerich, that they kind of help to fill in the curiosity, the uh, imagination of our minds that we want to know this information. And whether or not it's true or not, but it helps us to to be able to have a wholeer picture Um, At the same time, as we make our way through it, one of the things I like doing for for different periodicals is to to kind of look at these different biographies of Mary, Maximus the Confessor, Maria of Agreda, and Anne Catherine Emmerich. And so I've done it before for Catholic Digest on the Annunciation or the Assumption and, and just trying to see... What do these three biographies, what are the commonalities, are there differences? But really it does help to give a, a more clear picture of, of Mary's life and the life of the Lord Jesus. So, so thank you for recommending Anne, Catherine, Emmerich. The last question uh, relates to when we go to church on a Marian feast day, when we go for the Assumption or Mary, Mother of God or Immaculate Conception, we will always sing Marian hymns. Is there one hymn that you always hope that they might sing on the occasion of a Marian feast day?
1: Mm, That's a good one. Uh, Salve Regina, for me, would be my number one.
0: Okay. And and of course, that'd be the chant version I'm taking, like the one that you'd hear in the monasteries. Well, wonderful. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, it's been so wonderful to speak with you today, Michael, about Marian devotion and to uh, really come to know more about the titles of Mary, her apparitions, and to uh, really uh, share about your book that you co-wrote with Robert Festigi, Virgin Mother and Queen, Encountering Mary in Time and Tradition. If people want to learn more about you, Michael, uh, how might they do so?
1: Well, the best place uh, for people to connect with me is at miraclehunter.com. And that's got all the information on uh, the Marian apparition research that I've done, all the books and connections to my social media on Facebook and Twitter. So if people want to uh, follow me there, uh, they can connect with me on social media as well.
0: And you can always tune in to his show, The Miracle Hunter, on Relevant Radio and look for his documentary series on EWTN. And so uh, you, you surely do get around, uh, especially to spread the love of the Blessed Mother. And so I'm sure she smiles at you for all the good work that you have done and that you will continue to do. So thank you for all that you do to, for her and to make her greater known.
1: Thank you, Father. It's been great to be with you today.
0: And so you've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope it has either been the beginning or deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at fredwardlooney. If you like this podcast, please leave a review so others may find it. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.